You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Seated and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I can't remember the last time I have labored over a passage like I have this one. But it's actually been very good for me. I mean, anytime we can go to Scripture, spend time there, it teaches us who God is, what He has done, and how we are to rightly respond uh, to Him. And here's what I've been praying all week, is that I could be clear and gracious with my words, and we could all be Open and gracious with our hearing. Because here is why. We are about to talk about spiritual gifts, especially two of them, prophecy and tongues. Now some of us are excited and some of us are very nervous already. But here are some reminders. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, guess what they're actually all about? They're all about spiritual gifts. Those three chapters, that's what the focus is. We saw a couple of weeks ago, spiritual gifts. There are these graces that the Spirit gives believers. These gifts or graces, they're not earned, they're not worked up. They are to be lived into by believers. In fact, every believer can be assured that they've been given a grace of the Spirit. It's intended to be used and it's actually needed. In fact, every Christian has a gift or sometimes more But no one has all the gifts because that's why we need each other working in concert with one another. In fact, you see gifts like serving, teaching, encouragement, mercy, wisdom, faith, distinguishing between spirits. And if you want to dive deeper, you could go to Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and even 1 Peter 4. So let me set the context again for this passage because... Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and it's a young church. It's a new church. In fact, this letter is written only about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And already this church struggles with really one thing. It struggles with unity. Now we saw it with the Lord's Supper, and we continue to see it with spiritual gifts. So we have to keep in mind, he's going to talk about tongues. He's going to talk about prophecy. But his goal is always unity. In fact, especially this week and next week, we have to keep this context and the original audience in mind. So let me set the stage. So spiritual gifts, I know it can be a very controversial subject, especially with these sign gifts like prophecy, tongues, healings, miracles. So we have to think of it this way, that you're driving down a one-way road and your goal is to simply Stay on the road. Stay out of the ditches. And what happens is on one side of the road is a group that we would call them continuationism or continuous. They believe in some shape or form those gifts of healing, uh, miracles, tongues that they are still in practice on some ways today. And they're over here. Well, then there's another group that believes that those gifts after the early church, that they, the healing gifts of, or the sign gifts, they have ceased. And listen, and that's okay. 
This is not something that has to divide us. You may be one way closer to one side of the road or another, and that's okay. There is room for disagreements when it comes to spiritual gifts. But it's not the only thing. We can also think of things like um, the return of Christ. Now, we all need to be on the road is that Jesus is coming again. Now, how it all works out, you know, you may be a pre-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture. You may be leaving the millennial or maybe not. There's areas that we can disagree on and that can be okay. In fact, in our church, if you want to become a member, we've boiled it down to eight essential doctrines. You find them on the website if you've never seen those. But these are ones that all members affirm. They're non-negotiable. You have to affirm these in order to be a member of Bethel Bible Church. Well, then we have our full doctrinal statement. This is affirmed by uh, teachers and elders and deacons and pastors. And believe it or not, there's a section on spiritual gifts. So I went back and read it this week. In fact, there's three paragraphs. But I want to read part of it. It's right in the middle. You can go look at it later this week. And this is what it says. We believe the Holy Spirit sovereignly distributes gift to every believer for the purpose of building up the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. And we can all affirm that. Or we should. Every believer is called to steward the gifts given by the Spirit for the good of the body and the glory of God. We need to affirm that. With regarding to speaking in tongues, we believe that this gift was never the common nor the necessary sign of the baptism or the filling of the Spirit. We believe that the manifestation of tongues do not represent a higher level or a more intense manifestation of the Spirit's presence in the believer's life. So we just want to stay on the road. Now, I said we need to keep this chapter in context and especially the original audience. We need to know that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is looking and he's addressing what is happening in the corporate worship. He's not talking about outside. He's talking about when the church gathers. And that is really important. Because sadly, the Corinthians were more concerned about this. They were more concerned about promoting their personal edification above the church. In fact, we're about to see they were doing something by neglecting prophecy and they were giving wrong emphasis on tongues. And what Paul wants to do, he wants to make sure they understand and they're putting the right priorities and the right emphasis on the right things. And so here's how I would boil the next 25 verses down. When in doubt, aim for understanding. When in doubt, the goal is going to be understanding. All right, have I stalled enough? Are we ready? 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he says, pursue. This is like the police hunting down uh, the person on the top of the most wanted list or a a hunter going after his prey. It is an all-out, go-for-broke chasing and he wants them to pursue he wants them to be all he wants them to go for broke for this for love a self-sacrificial love that that should be the die-hard pursuit of every member of the church pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts he says especially prophecy 
So Paul's counsel, he's writing them. He says, man, if you're zealous for spiritual gifts, great. But make sure you're desiring the most beneficial ones. And prophecy, he's going to show us, is the best gift because it builds up the church. Well, then that brings the question, what is prophecy? What is he referring to? And we tend to think of prophecy as this thing of predicting the future, that this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But true prophecy is always a direct word from God, and it's not always predictive. In fact, I would say it this way. Prophecy is intelligible speech by which God calls his people to faithfulness. Before the completion of the scriptures, God spoke through prophets. The first one we see is Moses. And you get to read through guys like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and Malachi. And what were they doing? They were constantly speaking for God, calling people back to faithfulness. Well, then we get Jesus becomes the ultimate prophet. And we're reading about a church that still needed prophets in the first century. And why is that? It's because scriptures were not complete yet. That's how they heard from God. So in our context, this is how I would say it, that prophecy is the faithful proclamation of Scripture by preachers and teachers. That can happen sitting in a coffee shop. That can happen gathering a, a group of third graders. It can happen from the pulpit. It's the faithful proclamation of Scripture by those called to teach it. So Paul then seeks this gift because it's the best. He said, pursue this one of all gifts, prophecy, because of the faithful proclamation of who God is, what he's done, and how we rightly respond to him. So in verse 2, he says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So he uses this word tongues or glossa. It's used about 50 times in the New Testament. Sometimes he's talking about your literal tongue. Other times it's used like in Acts 2, this tongues of fire. It's a figurative language. But 33 times he's talking about a language that is spoken. So what is Paul referring to? Well, here's where we have our road again. Some people believe Paul is referring to this angelic, kind of unknown language. For others, they're on closer to this side of the road, and they believe it's kind of what we see in Acts 2 at Pentecost, where uh, there was where language being spoken, and people could understand it in their own tongue. In fact, Pentecost, this is what is something I saw this week. That tongues, you know, we, we see this used by God using language. We see God use language with um, judgment at the Tower of Babel. Remember that story where they're building this, they're trying to get to God, this tower, and they were neglecting who God is and what He did. What did He do? He confused their language. It was a sign of judgment that all of a sudden you couldn't understand your neighbor. Well, then we see this used again in Acts 2 at Pentecost, where all of a sudden people were speaking and they were understanding what was being said. That Pentecost is a reversing of the Tower of Babel's judgment. So important to remember, regardless of where you are on the road, Paul is not opposed to the gift of tongues. He's not. He's trying to put it in the right perspective. Because notice what Paul says. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, he speaks to people for their building up, their encouragement, 
in their consolation or their comfort. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. The one who speaks prophecy builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the bottom line, Paul tells us, prophecy is greater than tongues. But remember, he's talking about emphasis on certain things in the right one. But he plainly says prophecy is greater than tongues. Because the Corinthian church, they were promoting tongues over prophecy. They'd gotten off the road. They were in the ditches. And he wants them to get back on. Because notice what he says about them. Prophecy, what does it say? It's the proclamation from God and it speaks to the people. It speaks to the entire church for building it up. In fact, twice he uses that. It strengthens the church when God's word is proclaimed. It brings encouragement. And it also brings comfort. Tongues, what does he say about it? He says it builds up the man or himself. It's a personal benefit. And notice Paul is not saying that that's a bad thing. In fact, the only way tongues could ever build up the church is that if there was an interpretation. What do we know about interpretation? It's also a spiritual gift. In fact, tongues is the only spiritual gift that needs another spiritual gift for its completion. So Paul is not saying tongues was not given by the Spirit. But prophecy, he does say, is a more effective gift. And here's why. Verse 6, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit unless I bring some from revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He's saying, if I come speaking in an unknown language, or maybe it's an angelic language, how would that help the church? Because no one would understand. But if I bring you a revelation, a special knowledge, prophecy, teaching, that is helpful. So Paul is arguing this for the importance of understanding over personal experience. In fact, he uses understanding eight times between verses 6 and 11. It's better to be clear and understood. So then they must be having a hard time grasping this. So he gives them three illustrations beginning in verse 7. He says, If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will someone know what is played? So he's talking about musical instruments. And we know they don't exist to just make random sounds unless your child's learning the, the recorder. You know what it's like that these instruments come together and what are they meant to do? They're to play notes and when these notes come together, it produces music. And when the music is then heard, people understand and they recognize the music. Well, then he goes on to say, And if the bugle gives a distinct sound, who will be ready for battle? So a bugler would give a sound, but a soldier we need to know whether this was a sound to attack or to retreat. You can you imagine if they were confused about it? Half are going to be running into battle and the other half are running away and it's a complete disaster. So if the sound is not understood, it's lost something. Then he says in verse 9, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is unintelligible, how will anyone know 
what is said. For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So he uses the idea of language and that they all have meaning. But what is important is if if a language is spoken and I don't understand it, it just creates confusion. So without understanding, there is no building up, there is no encouragement, and there is no comfort for the entire church. But then in verse 12, he goes on to say, So with yourselves. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, notice he's saying that's a good thing. Strive to excel in the building up of the church. And I think the same is true for us even today. He says, since you're eager for these special abilities that the Spirit gives, seek those that strengthen the whole church. The problem is their desire, they wanted these manifestations, and he says that is good, but they were seeking things to build themselves up, to make themselves feel a certain way or promote themselves. And Paul says, no, seek the things that help the entire church. Well, then we get to verse 13. I think from here on out, probably some of the most challenging verses that we have. He says, therefore, no one speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I do not believe I have the gift of tongues. I have friends that believe they do, and we're still on the road together. We may disagree at one time or another about this or that, and that's okay. But I don't have it. But I believe Paul is saying the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So what is the most important thing? Understanding. It's always the goal. He says, for if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Now this word spirit, it's referring to an inner being of each and every person. I think this is Paul's point. If I pray in my inner being, but I don't understand what I'm praying, how is that helpful? What am I to do? So Paul says, hey, pray in your inner spirit, but also pray with words that you can understand. He's not saying don't pray in your spirit, but also pray with words that your mind understands. The same with singing. Sing in your inner spirit as loud as you can, but also sing words that you understand. In fact, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. If the believer speaks in a tongue, his spirit, meaning his inner being, it may share in the experience, but his mind is not part of the experience. It is not wrong to pray or to sing in the spirit, but it is better to include the mind and understand what you are praying or singing. But Paul's not done. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So meaning if someone gives thanks through tongues, how can anyone around them say amen or affirm that? 
So once again, what is Paul aiming at? The importance of understanding. How can someone agree or affirm if they don't understand? Verse 18, he says, But I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul believes he had the gift. Nevertheless, notice the humility here. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in, the, in, the word, in a tongue. Because notice Paul's heart. He's not saying that he doesn't have this gift. In fact, he proclaims it, I do. But he is saying that normal, spirit-filled proclamation, truth, and a language everyone can understand is far more desirable and helpful than speaking in tongues. Because remember, Paul is addressing corporate worship. And the goal for them and our goal in worship should always be clarity and understanding. That our collective understanding is far more important than my personal experience or preference. Paul's not done. Look at verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. He wants them to be mature in what? Understanding. But when it comes to evil, he says, be as innocent as babies. Then he goes on to say, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues, they are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for believers. And I know my head was spinning too. What in the world is Paul talking about? Well, notice in your Bible, it'll say it is written, and it's going to give you some quotes. And what he's referring to is Isaiah 20, verses 11 and 12. And what is happening when this verse was recorded, what it's recording is the invasion of the Assyrian army of Israel. So Isaiah, what was he doing? It was a prophet that was warning unbelieving Israel of God's coming judgment. And a sign of that judgment was a foreign language. And it just happened to be the Assyrians. That God wanted to speak to Israel in their language of Hebrew. But when they would not listen to that, what does he do? He sends an army to conquer them. And all of a sudden they are surrounded by a language that they did not understand. And you know what we do? We see that again in the New Testament. In Acts 2 at Pentecost, imagine this scene. And I stole this. I'm not ashamed of that. But I think it's helpful. He says, you're a faithful Jew living in Corinth. You hear a commotion caused by one of the apostles named Paul and his followers. And how they have led astray a number of once faithful Jews and converted many God-fearing Gentiles. This band of Christians had convinced numerous people that some peasant carpenter from Nazareth was actually the Messiah. Even though he had been crucified as a criminal by the Roman government. Not only were they claiming Jesus was the Messiah, but they said something crazy that he had risen from the dead. And then he sent chosen apostles throughout the world to preach salvation, not only for the Jews, but also to uncircumcised Gentiles. 
The story couldn't be more preposterous to your pious Jewish ears. But because of your, this controversy and your curiosity, you decide to sneak into the assembly and see for yourself what kind of blasphemies these people are confessing. You enter and you hear the Gentile believers praying. But suddenly... You hear your own Hebrew tongue being spoken perfectly by Gentiles who couldn't possibly have known your language. They're speaking about the magnificent works of God through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Now you have proof that God indeed is among the group of Gentiles by which sit well would not sit well with a local synagogue that has officially marked them as heretics. And now... Now you have a decision to make. Do you join the Christians and embrace Jesus as the Messiah? Or do you stay true to the synagogue in the face of the miraculous proof of God's presence in the church? So speaking in tongues, even here in Corinth, was meant to be a sign to unbelieving Jews that the Spirit was present even among Gentiles. And God wants this to call unbelieving Jews to repent. So now look at the last three verses. If therefore the whole church comes together, he's painting a picture, and all speak in tongues. Remember Paul says, I desire that you all do that. And outsiders um, or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? He says, if a believer had stepped into this Corinthian church and everyone was speaking in tongues, he says, they would think that you're crazy, that you lost your minds. But he's not saying the gift of tongues is not real. In fact, he says he has the gift. But once again, what is Paul's point? The most important thing is understanding in corporate worship. So notice what promotes understanding in the last two verses. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So repentance, faith, and worship of God, when these happen, notice what has to be there. There has to be understanding. And understanding happens through prophecy, the faithful proclamation of God's word. In fact, Thomas Schreiner says it just perfectly, I think. Prophecy not only edifies believers every time, since it is understandable and fosters maturity, but prophecy evangelizes unbelievers, producing belief when unbelievers are convicted of their sin and brought to faith through hearing the gospel plainly presented. And so to recap, I think Paul says this, pursue love, an all-out, go-for-broke chasing of love. Pursue that. And we do this by striving for understanding over my own personal experience, and my own personal preferences. And the most powerful tool, the most effective gift we have is the faithful sharing of who God is and what He has done. 
In fact, in just a moment, that's exactly what we're going to do. We are going to celebrate that proclamation. But first, I want to share with you what God has taught me and ask you to consider if it's true. God tells me this, that I was created for eternity, that I will live forever. God created humanity with this purpose and the ultimate purpose is to be with him and he tells us we are the greatest of all his creation. But through Adam and Eve's sin entered the world. Distrust, disobedience, lack of faith and the same sin lives inside of me. The same ones. In fact, I grew up not wanting anything to do with God. That I was an enemy of his. But even in my sin and in my rebellion, God moved towards me. He sought to deal with my greatest problem, my sin, that was carrying me to an eternal life of punishment completely separated from him. And scripture calls that hell. Scripture tells me there was a price for my sin and it was death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death that would be complete separation from him. And there was nothing I could do to solve my sin problem, no matter how hard I tried. But God sent a solution. His name was Jesus and he lived a life that I could never, ever live of perfect obedience. Then he went willingly to the cross and he died for the sins of the world that included mine and God tells me that all I need to do is to trust him God tells me if I would trust that Jesus' death paid for my sins that he died in my place that I would be forgiven oh but scripture tells me there's more He laid in that grave and it wasn't long that he came back to life to prove that he conquered sin and death. And I know it sounds absolutely crazy. But this is my hope. The only hope I have. That when my life is over in this life that I know, when I breathe my last breath, I will be ushered into the presence of God and it will have nothing to do with what I have done except trust in Jesus. Then I'm going to say, I'm with him. And you told me that if I would trust in him, you would set all things right and that's all I can stand on. And I hope you already believe that. But if you do, I would ask you to pray this. God, give me an opportunity to proclaim who you are and what you have done and how to respond. And if you do pray that, I believe God will provide that. To give you an opportunity to proclaim the truth and the love and the mercy and the goodness of who God is and what he has done. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.